everybody and welcome to episode two of the Amshop podcast with me, Jonathan Courtney and Dermot Connolly. Dermot, how are you this week? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a very busy week now, to be honest with you. Back to work for a couple of days, which is nice. Um, the kids are back to school, so a little bit more routine in our lives, which is great. How are you getting on? Um, yeah, okay. It's been, it's, I, I've been a little bit busier as well, I suppose. Um, our little ones went back a few weeks, so that, as we said last week, and, and it's been interesting. But you know what? We, we've had a, such a great kind of reaction to the first episode of the podcast. I want to give everyone a big shout out and thanks for the ratings. They've been a huge help. It was a, a bit of a surprise to see that we got up to 26 on the, on the iTunes chart. So we've got to encourage people to keep on voting for us. It was really good to see Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That was sweet. That was sweet. Yeah. yeah. First time out it was very nice to hear. Everybody, um, everybody liked what was going on. So. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I got, uh, you know, a few few questions kind of came in to me and stuff like that. I'm sure it was the same for you, but a couple of people were kind of asking um, how we know each other and where this kind of idea came from, you know. So um, do you want to do you want to have a little spin and explain (laughs) explain the history as far as how we know each other? The history probably goes back about well, probably 10 years now, I suppose. And I was in a a sales role with with Phillips at the time um, and um, your partner and, and director of Jack Sports, Paddy Payton's wife was working with me at the time and, and you guys got a new sports brand in, Warrior, which actually turned out to be New Balance um, at the time. And, and I remember getting a phone call in my back garden one summer's evening and you, you asked me, could we meet up for a coffee and a chat? And just uh, and it kind of went from there, yeah. So um, I picked up a role of Jack Sports then selling Warrior gear, which was was great for me because Liverpool were the were the brand sponsors at the time and, and I, I love the fit obviously with the sports with the sports side of things and all and all of that. Um but yeah no it was great. Um so what would your take on it be Johnny? Yeah that's look that's not far off what happened. I suppose we were we were building a kind of new brand at the time and we wanted to get a you know um we wanted to get some new reps in and stuff as well. But obviously I think it helps in the sports uh, area in of the business when when you have somebody in who's involved actively involved with sports. So I mean I think that was a good idea, and I think at the time we were kind of doing some brand ambassador roles, and and, and I remember yourself and uh, Berno, uh, I think it was Michael Darmacolly and and Philly. Um, yeah. First of all, were the first few guys wearing Warrior, and we had a, I remember having a press day and a press conference and all that sort of stuff for you guys. We did a photo shoot and all. So yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to remember now, but it must have been like 2012, 2013. So it is, it's going back quite a, quite a while now, you know. Um, what was the transition like, like for for New Balance? Do you think it was a it was a smooth one for them to move into the football market or? I think it's an expensive one because, like, if you want to get top end uh, properties, uh, it costs a lot of money in the in the football game. So, I mean, coming in with with big big assets, big European brands like like Liverpool and Porto and Seville, like that doesn't come cheap, and you don't necessarily see a return on that. Uh, quickly it's a sports marketing spend so you'll probably spend more than you'll take back but it's about growing that awareness and you kind of have to stick with that in terms of the 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 marketing of a brand so I mean it is it is interesting I suppose obviously that's that's also what I do a few people were saying kind of what do you what do you do so <laughs> I mean we've a we've a sports distribution business in Ireland called Jack Sports and that's Jack with two C's J-C-C so um, yeah, we we distribute as you say Umbro, which we historically always did was our one of our main brands. But we also look after uh, uh, New Balance. We look after New Era, which is the biggest headwear brand in the world. We do BLK, so we sponsor Connacht Rugby and stuff with that brand. Um, we look after Under Armour's team sports. So we've we've a lot of different strings. We've just signed a deal. We just want to deal with Nike to do Nike's team sports. So it's it's an interesting business, and we're we're Ireland's kind of biggest. Um, 
brand uh, distribution center, I suppose, uh, now. So I, I suppose we had Converse and stuff at the time when you were there too. And you, I know you spent a few years working on that. So the business always, it continually evolves and changes, but I suppose that's, that's kind of how we know each other. One of the, one of the other things yeah. as well, actually, uh, somebody said to me during the week, which I thought was quite funny. Um, uh, actually, it was a couple of weeks ago when I told him originally we were going to do, do a podcast. We were thinking about starting up a podcast. Uh, he says, oh, I think that'll be really interesting. And I says, why do you think it'd be interesting? He says, well, Dermo's a bit like Jerry Adams. And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? And he says, well, everybody knows his face, but nobody really's ever heard his voice. It's a bit like B- the way he was in the 80s when you could only show a picture of Jerry Adams, but they, the BBC and all banned him from hearing his voice. So he said, I'm sure he has some interesting stuff to say. So I think a lot of people will tune in for that. So I thought that was very funny, you know. Uh, very funny, very funny. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I suppose one of the other things that we've we've planned that we should be letting people know about as well is obviously in a, it, over the next couple of weeks and a couple of months as we're doing these podcasts, we do plan on having guests on. So what we'd love to hear uh, from anybody who's listening in is who, who they'd like to hear us talking to and who they'd like to hear us getting on. And even if there's any topics they'd want to hear us talking about, but I know like it's probably... Uh, not too early to, to to release that we are going to talk over the next few weeks we're going to have a, a kind of interview slash chat if you like with the likes of uh, Jim Gavin uh, the former Dublin manager of course who, who led Dublin to five in a row and uh, Derma you'd know very well and I, I know Jim going back a long time uh, we'll have uh, Owen McGee on who's um, the proprietor of of um, he, he, he looks after the show uh, How to Be Good With Money on RTE. So Owen is an interesting guy to, to chat to. So he'll have some stuff on. Who else have we got? We've got Deck Pierce, the, the DJ of Today FM. Black Rock and Beats. Black Rock and Beats, baby. <laughs> so uh, Ireland's, Ireland's favourite Friday night uh, lockdown dance programme. And then we'll, we'll have some other sporting contacts and musical contacts as well. The, we'll have the likes of uh, Gavin Duffy, who's the sponsorship manager at Connacht Rugby on. And, and uh, Gav uh, had 10 or 11 Irish caps um, in terms of the rugby. And uh, it'll be interesting to get his take on a few things. He also played a bit of uh, guy with Mayo. So he, he was a kind of multi-sports guy. So we'll be having some interesting guests on. And uh, we're, as I said earlier, we'll be, we'll be listening and, and hopeful that you guys can communicate with us through social media to... to uh, to tell us who you'd like to hear from and what you'd like to hear about. So everybody feel free to jump in there. But uh, big, big sporting yeah. week, Dermo. Um, you know, you got, I know, I know you're more of a fan than I am in terms of the horse racing side of things, but uh, you've got Cheltenham week this week. Yeah, Cheltenham week. A bit, a bit strange, a bit of a strange lead up to Cheltenham with, uh, with all the stuff in the media about Gordon Elliott. Um, obviously, obviously, look, obviously it was a big mistake on his part and what he did, but, what, I, what I'd like to touch on is maybe the trial by media and maybe even social media. Anti-social um, media. Anti, anti-social media, or Twitter versus people like to call it. But um, I, I, just, I just thought, like, look, everybody makes a mistake in their life, right? Um, and Gordon Elliott is, is, is one of, of everybody, really. But uh, I, know, I know what he did, and, and it was completely wrong. But what I, what I would like to say is he never even got to, to talk about it himself, he never got to le- release a statement before people actually threw him under the bus. And I, I just thought, I just thought for a guy who had been involved in horse racing, and he didn't come from a family of horse racing. Like his father wasn't a, a top trainer, a top jockey. Neither was his grandfather a top trainer, top jockey. He was, he, he's a self-made man in in that equine sphere. And look, for anybody to do that in any sphere is is, is unbelievable. So he's obviously a savage, talented trainer. Um, 
But what I didn't like was what, what I'm trying to say is I didn't like the way he was he was portrayed in the media before he got to release the statement himself. Um, now I I know he's been banned for for six months from from racing, um, and he got a hefty fine, obviously, off the off the horse racing federation as well. Which and I I read a statement earlier on today, and and look, he, he's wholeheartedly, and you take you take him for for his word that he's he's completely remorseful in what he did, and and that. Any horse in his care or any animal in his care is is cared for by the, by the utmost. And I, I just like I, I just like to say that I, I feel sorry I felt sorry for him in that league the, the week leading up to Cheltenham because it's such a big week for for any horse racing. Any any person involved in horse racing is the biggest week of the year. And, and to be portrayed like that, I, I, I just felt that it was it was unjust a little bit. That's all. Yeah. Um, no, I, I hear you. Um, I think, look, as, as you said, uh, it's a mistake. And uh, unfortunately, um, these days, you know, people seem to um, sit on mistakes sometimes. Cause, well, sitting is actually, <laughs> it's a Freudian slip there. Uh, but he, he was actually, you know, they, they t- tend to sit on these things and then release them when... They, they want to, you know, get a vendetta in or something. And I don't know who took that picture, but um, apparently it was a couple of years ago. So somebody has had yeah, that for but a long I'm, time. But, but, but I'm sure Gordon Elliott knows who took that picture. And it's, and it's only being circulated around now in the media to probably probably get back at him for something else. And which which yeah. is kind of wrong. It's kind of wrong in a way, you know, and, and they, they held it off for a time where it really hurt him and really hurt his employees and his business, which is, which is, it's, it's kind of sick in a way that people, that people would go to that lens to, to get after somebody. Um, but you know what? He's after having a winner today at Cheltenham, which is, which is super. Today is Tuesday, by the way. So um, he, he had his first winner in Cheltenham today, albeit he couldn't be there and he, he couldn't train the horse himself, but he, he has his, his staff over there and looking after them really well. So uh, I'm delighted, I'm delighted that that happened. And, I was kind of expecting a bit of a backlash as soon as he, he did have a winner in Cheltenham that, you know, the media would jump all over what happened in the weeks previous, but they haven't. And to be fair, they were they were pretty gracious in 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 basically saying that, you know, it was for the staff, it was for it was for the yard and and move on pretty much so yeah um, I, can, I can under I, as i said I, I understand it i'm not i'm not a huge horse racing guy by any um account but look i i, I understand um that there's an element of uh, sabotage to to a degree here there's kind of has to be there's a there's the social media pylon because unfortunately these days um the likes of twitter can be very toxic and um, the people who normally agree with somebody just kind of like something maybe and move on. The people who want to have a pile on will all comment, and and it, it just it becomes an echo chamber of negativity, and that 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 feels really bad, especially when something as magnified like this is story of the, the man's life, and he's watching everything that he's tr- built kind of nearly get flushed down the toilet. But he did have obviously a huge uh, responsibility in the in the business that he's in. He has uh, animal welfare um, issues, and he is in a privileged position with responsibility. So it was naive and silly but then again as you said he would out you know uh, sin cast a four stone it's you know he made a mistake I don't think anybody's beyond redemption um, he, he didn't kill the bloody horse you know what I mean the horse died and maybe it looks a bit bad but I mean uh, he, he he shouldn't be dragged over the coals he's he's going to pay his fine he's going to do his time and then I think everybody should just move on and I think you know what that le- leads me kind of nicely into you know I suppose it's, it's a media thing but it's also a social media or, or as I call it now nearly anti-social media 
Um, so you, how did you feel like you, you've had your, let's say, run-ins, if you like, with the press or you, you certainly as a, <laughs> as a kind of high profile athlete, you've had the press, you know, uh, in your life for, for a long number of years. Do you feel that they give a fair crack of the whip or do you, f- do you feel that um, they're almost building people up to, to, to find a reason to knock them down later on? So it's some, some do, some don't. And look, the papers will never refuse a story. And that's how it goes. You know, that's, that's pretty much what sells papers and, and what sells books and what sells media to every extent, really. But from my, point, from my point of view, I struggled with it early on in my career when, you know, you're in the limelight for probably not the best of reasons. Sometimes it was good reasons, sometimes it wasn't. But I found myself and, I, and I, I'd start reading everything that was put out again with my name in a kind of thing, you know, and, and when it was good, I'd get a lift and, I, and I'd feel great and, you know, it drive me to do things. But when, when it wasn't so good and was a little bit negative, I used to take that on myself and, and I, I'd get angry and I'd wonder why people wanted to kind of cut me down or whatever, you know. So, but I was actually at a talk and I, I spoke about it, I spoke about this during the week. I was actually at a talk a couple of years ago with, with Paul Harrington and, you know, the way he is, he's, he's so kind of AC or OCD about, his game and, and how he how he prepares for sort of stuff like this. And and that was really interesting. The talk was kind of about preparation and high performance sport, but it was also about dealing with the media side of things. And this is where I took a like a very keen interest in it. He told me when he was younger growing up, he was in the media for positive reasons. They'd have a great round or he'd have a great weekend or whatever it was. And he'd read it and he'd get a massive lift and and he'd feel great for a couple of weeks and then someone would write something negative in the paper and it, it literally it demotivated him to go training to, to do his normal routine and all that sort of stuff so what he did was just cut it out completely and that means that you're in control of it so that's kind of what I, I took from that and I, I kind of I, I was never really one for big social media like looking through all that sort of stuff or reading papers and all that sort of stuff but I, I literally just completely cut it out and I found that you don't get the highs and you don't get the lows. You're just steady. And that's kind of the high-performance culture. And it, it took that talk to kind of make me realize it. You yeah. know, like it's it, it's, a, it's a funny one because, you know, people do like to read nice stuff about themselves, let's be honest. But if, if, you're, if you're really conscious, if you don't read anything at all, I, I feel like, it keeps you on a steady keel. That's that probably I mean, my it must opinion be, of it anyway. It must be hard to do. It must be hard to ignore all that outside noise. But as you said, that's that's probably part of a, a, a high-performing uh, uh, unit, if you like, because people, you need to try and get everybody to buy into that. And, I mean, uh, you know, there would have been guys like i mean social you're you're coming to you're kind of finishing your tail end of your career right i mean you've retired from the dublin thing blah 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 but social media would have been only in its infancy if you like when you started so you've now got um younger lads who are coming into it and that's expected of them and that's kind of part of their lifestyle and that's what they've grown up with in their teens and and then they're getting on to senior teams and it may not be gaelic it could be football or rugby or whatever else but i mean that's they're expected nearly to um have part of that as their everyday exists and uh, as you kind of alluded to there though it doesn't just let good in it doesn't filter things for you it lets good and bad in so I mean you know I really respect somebody like uh, Con O'Callaghan who's you know who's probably 23 24 now has never gone on social media has never opened uh, the channels to it and he would 
be, you know, he's more inclined to be out in his shed in his back garden lifting weights <laughs> than he is scrolling through Twitter. And you have to say that's a very unique mindset um, in terms of the younger guys who are coming in today. But it, it has to be, you know, you have to have a great inner strength and, and, and self-belief to yeah. not just, just be part of the, you know, the norm and, and, and sign up and do what you're expected. Yeah, 100%. Look, and as you said, it is, it is a little bit about, it's about, it's about being sometimes being selfish, being very selfish. Like as a high performance person, I, I found myself sometimes, and you have to be, you have to, you know, you have to say, I'm not, I'm not going to the wedding or I'm not going to the holiday or I'm not going to that event because I'm not going to be able to perform if I do, you know, and that, and sometimes, sometimes people look at you and like you have 10 heads, but that's just, that's just the way you have to be. You have to have that kind of single-minded mindset, you know. Yeah. Um, and you, you speak about Con there, and Robbie Keane to be another guy that that you know he, he had a super career in in football, and he's never he's never been on social media. But there is there is Mavericks out there that never kind of dipped their toe in. Yeah. For me, for a long time, I didn't. But then you've got to realize then if you don't do that, there is a commercial act, aspect that guys can make a few quid out of, you know, being more out there, being you know shown a little bit more of their personality to to the masses really and and yeah. look some people are comfortable with doing it and some people aren't and what I say is if you if you are comfortable and good at it fire away I I never knock anybody for doing it but for for myself personally that wasn't really what I wanted to do and it, like I felt that it took away what it, what it, a little bit of I don't know you call it mystique call it whatever you want but I wouldn't like to give anything to to an opposition player out out in the social media sphere that's why I kind of didn't do too many interviews didn't do too much social media that sort of thing I kind of wanted to I wanted to kind of I wanted to have a little bit of you know an as edge. I said, a bit of an edge on on, on your opposition opponent or our team you know yeah and did you did you feel that I mean obviously you're in the amateur your, your whole career was in the amateur ethos of it of Gaelic football right so um you know, you can understand it uh, to some degree, let's say soccer players uh, who are p- being paid a lot of money and they have to, if they get endorsements more readily, let's say, and there's bigger money. So there's probably more of an expectation to go on do all the social bits and, and that. Do, do you feel that the trade-offs, like, as you said, you might miss a wedding, you might miss, you know, a night out with, with your mates from school, whatever it might be. Do, you obviously felt the trade-off was, was obviously worth doing, you know, the sacrifice in terms of time and events for, for that 10, 12, years whatever it may be yeah but it, look that at, at the time at the time you don't you don't when you're in it you don't really like looking back looking back now the price i've paid is definitely worth it 100 yeah. and jim gavin used to always say what's the price you're willing to pay do yeah. you want to be do you want to be the best performing player and what price are you willing to pay to have that it's like anything in, in business johnny you know yourself in 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 sport in in your hobbies whatever it is you have to invest time into it and, and time is, is the only thing we have really like yeah. you know like so what's the price you're willing to pay is in how much time are you willing to give to this it's good good to know and uh, like I'm delighted that we have six all Ireland medals between the two of us I think that's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> we've actually I, got eight you know what? yeah, yeah well we won't forget ones. the club ones we won't forget the club ones no they're, they're, they're important they're definitely important I was only talking about our inter-county careers there but <laughs> yeah, 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 I get you. I get you. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's so, good to hear that insight, though, in terms of what your, uh, you know, what what it costs. And there, as you said, there's a toll. 
there is a toll and it might be socially for a while or whatever. But I mean, it's, it's a relatively short space of time and you realise and you probably even realise now that you've kind of uh, just just knocked it on the head recently uh, in terms of the inter-county stuff. You've probably realised that when you're starting off and you, you came to it fairly early, 18, 19, so you had a relatively long time, but you think you're going to have forever and then suddenly like time just slips by and it's, it's suddenly time to say goodbye, isn't it? Well, yeah, some, some people don't know how to do that. I, yeah. I was very lucky. I, I was in a situation where I, coming to the end of my career, I actually took a year out and, yeah. and I went to Boston. One of the best things I ever did, and, and I, I, I definitely tell any young, young kid coming out of college to, to do your J1 and, and definitely go over and experience something like that because it's something I missed out on. And, and thank, thankfully, I didn't before the end of my career. And then when I came back, I had a small bit of a different perspective. I wasn't, I wasn't the guy that, Every, like I wasn't the number one guy anymore but it gave me perspective and like I still had to train like I was the number one guy you know and I still had to do all that stuff but, but by taking the year out for me anyway for take, taking the year out gave me a little bit of a broader scape on the world and it wasn't all just about GA football it was you know I have to I have to start working on other aspects of my life here because sometimes that can that can that can really happen to, to a guy that that's you know, interesting you, Really yeah. interesting. Basically, like you're like you like we worked together for f- five or six years, Johnny, and my world revolved around kind of my sport rather than yeah. you know, and and you were you you were the boss man. So like for you, you probably wanted my whole world to revolve around Jack Sports, you know, and and it would have took a little bit of a little bit from Jack Sports because that was the price I was willing to pay at the time, and and thankfully you were successful for it, you know. Yeah, very good. And and what about uh, where did the idea of going to the states kind of come in? Because I mean, it's it was such a big idea, or such a such such a, uh, it seemed on the outside uh, a strange decision. Let's say from a supporter's point of view, that you're suddenly wanting away from. I think the the team was on three in a row, maybe at the time. And uh, you you were obviously front and center, one of the main 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 men in that uh, team. So how how did that kind of come about? Did you did you just were you just mentally exhausted? Did you need a kind of did you need a mental break from it? You were probably going ten years at that point. Yeah, I think I think it was a lot of a lot of things. Um, cer- certainly the 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 game against Carlo didn't help my my mindset, and 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 it probably it probably influenced my decision a small bit. Um, I remember coming back that following the following season, coming back, and I just was demotivated. I didn't want to be not that I didn't want to be there, but it wasn't the same person there around the guys. And when, when I was training, I wasn't putting it in like I used to. I wasn't doing my extra bits. I wasn't doing all that sort of stuff. And I just said to myself, you know, I actually had a, a, I had a great a great chat chat with me uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and and we, we just sat down. and was like, look, I'm, I'm like my motivation isn't here anymore. And if I, if I'm not whole in it, I'm gonna take something away from somebody else. So. I, I just decided, I just said, look, I, d- I decided, look, what, what's the options out there? I was going to go back and play, just just play club football for the season. And, and then someone approached me and a good friend of mine, and you know him too, Shane Carty, uh, he, he wants to come on the podcast also. Okay, uh, we, let, we let him on to explain yeah, his decision yeah. of robbing you from a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and we, 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 just, we just had a chat and the, and the option, that option was on the table to go to the States. And it was something that I've never did. And, and I spoke to people who did do it before and, and they loved it, so we said, you know what? Like, what, what have we got to lose here? Go over for six or, or eight to ten weeks, and and actually experience life on a, on a in a different country first of all, and and a different culture and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I actually got to travel, which which I hadn't done in, you know, I, I haven't traveled in twelve years because I was playing football constantly every summer. I was playing football, and most of the year I was playing football because we were so successful with Vince's at the time as well. So I actually got to jump in a, an airplane of a car and then drive around the States for three or four weeks, you know, and actually experience all these 
crazy cities and and sporting events and you know just had a good time which which something's going to live me forever you know and and I that's that's exactly what I'm saying like I, I wasn't willing to pay the price for that year. I wanted to. I wanted to take something for myself. So that's what I did. I, I don't think, and I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with that at all. Especially when you consider, like, you didn't do your J one thing. You didn't do any of that kind of stuff because you were, you were kind of touted as this like uh, talent coming through the through the system for a long time, and you you went into the the senior setup quite early. So I mean, you, as you said, again, it goes back to that thing we said about the, the, what's the price you're willing to pay, and eventually, you know, I I think you were dead right to do. It because I mean you were at that stage you're 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 in your kind of late 20s then there wasn't you, you were obviously getting into a serious relationship blah, blah 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 so all those things life comes at you fast as they say so I mean, you probably wouldn't have had many more chances to do that sort of thing so it sounds like uh it sounds like it was a really positive thing for you to do and then you were able to come back kind of refreshed and recharged to to have a go at it again for another couple of years so I mean from that point of view I think it was a massively positive experience from you for you I should yeah. say. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We don't all get to jet set like you, Johnny, every every other week. Well, uh, I, know I, know I know you're grounded at the moment, but <laughs> so so is everybody else. Yeah, that's not just yeah. grounded. That's not just grounded by me, missus. That's grounded by COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but, did you um, did you did you catch up on any of the sport over the weekend? Was did you watch the Six Nations? Did. You, how do you think Ireland are fair? And are we? Are we in with a, sh- a show for the championship? Or I, th- I think, think that's I, gone. I, I think that I don't think we can't win it now at this point. But I think. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a funny kind of one. I think they seem to be uh, possibly doing what we've never done before, which is actually doing a full kind of rota in terms of trying to gear up for a World Cup in a few years' time. I think Andy Farrell is playing a few guys that probably you wouldn't expect to see in the team at this stage. I, I think they were... Like, I mean, realistically, uh, if Peter O'Mahony hadn't got sent off in the first game, we would have beaten Wales. That, that's, a, that's a reasonably average Welsh team by, by Welsh standards. And that may seem like a crazy thing to say now that they've had four wins. But Wales have been a total momentum team. They beat Ireland against the, against the uh, run of play, even with only 14 men. And uh, they, went, they always beat Scotland. They beat Scotland the second game. They gained that momentum. They took their chances against England. Then they have Italy and suddenly they're going for a grand slam. Ireland, yeah. on the other hand... Um, um, obviously, unfortunately, lost that first game. And when you lose your six, your first, your opener in the first game of the Six Nations, it's very hard to recover from. Done by a couple of points or a point against France at home in a very tight game again. You're probably always going to beat Italy. We ground out a win against Scotland, and now this season comes down to the the old the enemy game, uh, the Ireland England game on Saturday, uh, which comes up again around St Patrick's weekend. So, I think um, the the saving of the season now is in beating England. But uh, I think. I, I actually do think France will beat uh, Wales, so Wales won't get a Grand Slam, but I think Wales will win the championship on points. And I think if we can, if we can eke out a little tight win against England in a, in in a good game and show a bit of attack and flair, maybe for a change, I think that would probably just about suffice as a, a win three, lose two kind of season. And and then the excuses are, well, we only lost the two games by a couple of points combined. You know, what did you think? Yeah, and, and bring back a little bit of confidence to the squad because there's there's a lot of negative talk around in the media, I suppose, about the, about the rugby and even like when we're going to France and and you know that doctor coming out about Johnny Sexton, I thought it was I thought it was just very strange. I try maybe knocked him off their off their kilter a little bit, but there's a big there's been a big uh, announcement today about CJ Stander, 31 years old and, and retiring from international rugby and, and retiring retiring from rugby full stop. And he came out and it was something maybe you were you were only speaking about what's the price you're willing to pay? And it seems to me by reading the statement that the price he's not willing to pay the price anymore that. You know that this 
this pandemic has kind of opened his mind and, and actually what does he what does he want with his life and and, and I don't think rugby's that anymore either. Yeah, I think I think rugby is so highly attritional these days that I mean and and he's a back rower, right? He's number eight. He's he's spending his time literally running, picking the ball up and running into contact. And I think there's gonna be acquired brain injuries over uh, the amount of time because you know, every time they take collisions, it's a, it's a car crash. It's basically a car crash. And yeah. you see the amount of um, head head injury assessments now and the HIA protocols, which are good, but I still don't know if they're doing enough. Um, I think the the proof of the pudding will only be later down the line because, I mean, professional rugby is only in 20, 25 years. So the guys who are retiring over the last few years, we won't see the impact and the results it will have on them for a few, a few years to come. Um, and, I, and I do unfortunately think that there's going to be a lot of uh, head issues and memory issues, uh, whether it's Alzheimer's or Louis body dementia or whatever associated to that going forward. Uh, and he knows his body better than anybody. Uh, maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's a combination of both. Or maybe it's going to be a shift in the way <clears throat> professional rugby players act going forward. And they, they're going to uh, maybe retire earlier because of the fears and the injuries around that. Because I know that of, of all the sports that are out there, um, you know, I, 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 talking to a lot of parents and a lot of friends of mine who have kids at, at, at that kind of age where they're playing multi-sports, the one that they all are afraid of is rugby, whereas they're happy to see their kids playing everything else. There's a bit of a fear around rugby for that reason, I think. I remember having a conversation with my dad. We had a, I, I obviously played GA and hurling all the way up and I, I kind of touched a little bit into soccer when I was kind of 14 or 15 because a neighbour of mine was involved with Belvedere Football Club and you obviously seen I was a bit of a talent so he asked me to come down. I only played a couple of years and whatever that but we had a guy, Paul, I don't know who, um, and he, he, he's from Clontarf but he played underage with Vincent's and he would have been, their family would have been really big rugby family and you know? I think the, the older brother's good friends at Brian O'Driscoll and he, he was always a small guy in the team, but very, very talented. He ended up going to Belvedere School with a couple of pals of mine. So we kind of kept in touch. But he was always at me to go down and play with Clontarf, right? And only subsequently, I heard this story that his dad had rang my dad, right, when he was 14. We were already 14 or 15 at the time and asked me would I come down and play with Clontarf or, or trial with Clontarf. And my dad would not for money nothing would let me go down and play rugby because of that because of the injury rate and all that sort of stuff and I think there's there's a lot of negative press in rugby over this so they need to get this right for especially for the grassroots coming through because in Dublin and you know yourself it's 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 pretty much the private schools that play rugby and, and you get a small bit out in North County Dublin and and then most of it's down the country kind of thing and a month there'll be a huge you know, be a huge pick of, of kind of the rugby stuff. But <laughs> like ru- rugby as a game is it, it's a great game. Um, it has great ethos. I love the way that the referees control the game and the players, for yeah. example. I think there's a lot yeah. of good life lessons from rugby, but uh, yeah. it's just the it's just the impacting would would be frightening. I think from a from a parent's point of view. So I can probably see where your old man was coming from. Um, yeah. So uh, oh, there we yeah, go. But... I think I think we're just about out of time, DC. I think that's episode two in the can. Um, yeah. So I guess. Uh, I guess just want to give everybody out uh, a thanks again so thanks for listening to us so make sure to give us a rating and a five star rating hopefully if you like us anyway on iTunes Spotify or, or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from and we look forward to talking to you again next week thanks DC talk to you next week